Chapter Twenty Five of the Copper Princess. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Betsy Bush, October two thousand nine. The Copper Princess by Kirk Monroe. Chapter Twenty Five A Sea Fight on Lake Superior. As no other schooner was in sight, and as this one was standing off the coast when discovered, the Bronco people had from the very first believed her to be the one they wanted. Her hoisting of British colors strengthened this belief, and it was finally confirmed by Connell's recognition of her captain. Until that moment, however, they had entertained serious doubts as to whether they should find Peveril on board, for it did not seem credible that even a smuggler, accustomed to running great risks, would dare abduct and forcibly carry off an American citizen. They did not know of the tempting reward promised to the schooner's captain for doing that very thing, nor of his determination to make this his last voyage on the Great Lake. So they anxiously awaited his answer to the question, "'Have you a man named Richard Peveril aboard your craft?' When it came, although it was neither yes nor no, it so thoroughly confirmed their suspicions that they had no hesitation in attempting to rescue their friend by force, and the Broncos' men gave a yell of delight as the two vessels crashed together. On board the tug this moment had been foreseen and prepared for. Two small anchors had been got ready to serve as grappling irons, and each man had been told off for special duty. The regular crew of four men had been materially strengthened by the addition of the two passengers, but as the engineer must be left on board under all circumstances, the available fighting force was reduced to five. As it happened, this was the exact number on board the schooner. So, as the Broncos scrambled to her deck, each singled out an individual and went for him. The vessel had been thrown into the wind by the collision. Her sails were thrashing to and fro with a tremendous clatter, which, combined with a roar of escaping steam from the tug, created such dire confusion among the smugglers as rendered them almost incapable of resistance. In fact, their captain was the only one who made a show of fighting, and springing at him with a howl of delight, Mike Connell sent him sprawling to the deck with a single blow. Then the Irishman dove down the companionway, cast a hasty glance about the little cabin, and made for the only door in sight. A couple of vigorous kicks bursted open, and in another minute Richard Peveril was again a free man. As the two friends reached the deck, Connell uttered a wild Irish yell of triumph while the released captive, who now gained his first inkling of what had taken place, stared about him in bewilderment. Then he burst into a shout of laughter at the spectacle of four men, one of whom was the dignified manager of the great White Pine Mining Company, calmly sitting on the prostrate bodies of four others, while a fifth, who had just struggled to his feet with a very rueful countenance, suddenly dropped to the deck again as he caught sight of Connell. Greeting Peveril with a hearty cheer and carrying him with them, the Broncos regained their ship and cast off the lines that held her to the schooner. As these were loosed, her jingle-bell rang merrily, her screw churned the dimpled water into a yeasty foam, and with a derisive farewell yell from her exultant crew, she dashed away, leaving her recent antagonist enveloped in a cloud of sulphurous smoke. The whole affair had occupied just five minutes." There was no lack of entertainment on board the good tug Bronco as she again headed southward and ploughed her way briskly towards Laughing Fish, 
for everyone had thrilling stories to tell or to hear. "'It seems to me,' remarked Major Arkell to Peveril, after listening attentively to the young man's narration, "'that you have managed to compress a greater number of desperate adventures and hair-breadth escapes into a short space of time than any other man in the Copper Country. I, for instance, have been here for ten years and haven't yet had an adventure worth the telling.' "'Not even the one of this morning?' "'Oh, that was only an incident compared with what has happened to you. "'How do you manage it? "'Do you always find such stirring times wherever you go?' "'No, indeed,' laughed Peveril. "'Until very recently I have led a most quiet and uneventful life. "'Even now I would gladly exchange all my adventures, "'as you are pleased to call them, "'for the smallest scrap of information regarding the mine "'that I came out here to find.' "'Haven't you learned anything concerning your copper princess yet?' "'Not one word.' "'That's strange. I wonder if it can be located in the Ontonagon region.' "'I had just about made up my mind to visit that section and find out,' replied Peveril. "'That is, if I have earned enough money while working for you to pay my traveling expenses.' "'I guess you have,' laughed the Major.' "'But I can't let you go yet a while, for I shall want you to help me settle accounts with that old fellow who stole our logs. Besides, you have so aroused my curiosity regarding those prehistoric workings of yours that I should like very much to visit them. Do you think you could find the entrance again?' "'Which entrance? The hole down which I was thrown, or the one through which I crawled out?' "'The one by which you were introduced to them, of course. From your own account, the other is altogether too small for comfort,' and the chances of being shot for trespass are altogether too great in its vicinity. I expect I could find the locality, but I hate the idea of ever going near it again. I don't think you can imagine what I suffered while down there. I am sure the place will haunt my worst dreams during the remainder of my life. By going down again with plenty of light, company, and an assured means at leaving at any moment, the place will present a very different and much more cheerful aspect. Besides, the ancient tools that you mention as existing in such numbers down there are becoming so scarce as to be very valuable and well worth collecting. So, on the whole, I think we had better go and take a look at your prehistoric diggings this very day. Very well, sir. Since you insist upon it, I will act as your guide. But I must confess that I shall be heartily glad to leave this part of the country and return to the civilization of Red Jacket. Civilization of Red Jacket is good, laughed the other. How long since you considered it as civilized? Ever since I left there and found out how much worse other places can be. As a result of this conversation, four men left Laughing Fish soon after the tug again dropped anchor in its cove, and took to the trail that two of them had followed before. These two were Peveril and Connell. The others were the White Pine manager and Captain Spillins. Arrived at the point from which Darrell's folly could be seen, they turned abruptly to the right and plunged into the woods. Only too well did Peveril remember the path over which he had been dragged a helpless captive only three days before, but the way seemed shorter now than then, and he was surprised to discover the dreaded shaft within a few hundred feet of the trail they had just left. They had brought ropes with them as well as an axe and candles in abundance. Now, after cutting away the bushes from the shaft-mouth, and measuring its depth by letting down a lighted candle until it was extinguished in the water at the bottom, they prepared for the descent. The Major was to go first, 
and Peveril, whose dread of the undertaking had been partially overcome, was to follow. The others were to remain on the surface to pull their companions up, when their explorations should be finished. So Major Arkell seated himself in a loop of the rope, swung over the edge of the old shaft, and was slowly lowered until the measured length had run out. Then the others, peering anxiously down from above, saw his twinkling light swing back and forth until it suddenly disappeared. A moment later the rope was relieved of its strain, and they knew that its burden had been safely deposited on the rocky platform described by Peveril. He went next, and was quickly landed in safety beside his companion. "'It is an old working, sure as you live,' exclaimed the Major, who was examining the walls of the gallery with a professional eye. "'And here are the tools you spoke of. Beautiful specimens, by Jove, finest I ever saw. We must have them all up, every one. But let us go back a piece and examine the drift.' First time I ever knew of those old fellows drifting, though. They generally only worked in open pits until they struck water and then quit. Didn't seem to have any idea of pumps. Still filled with its recent horror of the place, Peveril tried to dissuade the other from penetrating any further into the workings, but in vain, and so, each bearing a lighted candle, they set forth. At the several piles of material, previously noted as barring the way, the Major uttered exclamations of delight and astonishment. "'It is copper,' he cried. "'Mass copper, almost pure. The very richest specimens I have ever seen. Why, man, the old mine must have been a bonanza if it all panned out stuff like this. These piles were evidently ready for removal when something interfered to prevent. Wonder what it could have been. Didn't find any bones, did you? Or evidences of a catastrophe?' "'No, nothing but what you see. "'Good heavens, Major, what's that?' "'With blanched faces the two stood and listened. "'Strong men as they were, their very limbs trembled "'while their hearts almost ceased beating. "'Again it came from the black depths beyond them, "'a cry of agony, pitiful and pleading. "'Let's get out of this,' whispered the Major, "'clutching at Peveril's arm and endeavouring to drag him back "'the way they had come. "'I've had enough.' "'No,' replied the other, resolutely. "'We can't leave while some human being is calling for deliverance from this awful place.' "'You don't think it's a human voice?' "'I do, and at any rate I am going to see.' "'There, hear it?' Again came the shrill cry echoing from the rocky walls. "'Help! For God's sake, don't leave us here to perish!' At the sound, Peveril sprang forward, and the Major tremblingly followed him. Back in the gloom, a hundred yards from where they had halted, they came upon a scene that neither will ever forget so long as he lives. A slender youth and a white-haired man stood clinging to each other and gazing with wildly incredulous eyes at the advancing lights. "'It is Richard Peveril, father. Oh, thank God, thank God, sir, that you have come in time,' cried the younger of the two. "'Richard Peveril,' repeated the old man huskily, "'No, no, Mary, it can't be. It must not be. "'Richard Peveril is dead, and the contract is void. "'He has no claim on the Copper Princess. "'It is all mine, mine and yours. "'But don't let him know. "'Keep the secret for one week longer, only one little week. "'Then you may tell it to the world.'" End of chapter 25